Welcome to the Back'em Down Podcast. This is your host, Coach Johnson. In this episode, we're going to be talking all things NBA, covering some NBA news, and well as some stats, also each game on the Tuesday schedule. For the news and stats portion of this episode, just have a few little notes. With the win last night over the Jazz, the Lakers clinched the number one seed in the Western Conference for the first time since 2010 when they won the championship. Another uh, just tough injury news that came out today is that Jaron Jackson Jr. has been diagnosed with a torn meniscus. Hate to see that for him as he's been playing so well in the bubble since the restart of the season, being one of the you know, highlights of the Memphis Grizzlies, even though they are 0-3 in the bubble, he has played phenomenal and shown you know, the makings of becoming a superstar in this league. So, you know, thinking about him, hoping he has a quick recovery and can get back sooner than later. In the first game of the day, we had the Milwaukee Bucks taking on the Brooklyn Nets in a game that many thought would be a blowout. You know, even the Vegas odds had the Bucks at an 18 and a half point favorite in this game. But what a very surprising first quarter as the Nets come out firing on all cylinders. And, you know, they're getting strong play from Luwawu, Kabarat, and Kuroks. Their three-point shooting has given them the lead early. The ball movement is getting the Nets a lot of open looks from the perimeter. They Early in this game, they were crashing the glass with a lot of intensity and were coming up with a lot of extra offensive rebounds that the Bucks were not getting. And, you know, that played a factor in this game as we move forward in it. And so did the uh, turnovers that they were able to cause Milwaukee to have. Um, this really hurt the Bucks as the Nets were able to get out in transition and, as I said, get a lot of good looks from the perimeter and play with a lot of pace and a lot of freedom because they weren't having to play five-on-five. Five. They were having mismatches of three-on-two, two-on-ones, those such things that allowed them to score with a lot more freedom. And what a big second quarter the Nets were getting from Justin Anderson as he comes in and knocks down a few threes to really help them extend their lead. Uh, TLC was able to continue to score at a high rate in the second quarter. They were picking the Bucks apart by attacking the paint and with quick ball rotations, forcing the Bucks into long closeouts. And, you know, they were just a step late on rotations because of the penetration that the Nets were getting and the ball movement that they had, that they were creating those open looks for each other. And the Nets were fine with the Bucks beating them in the paint as long as they didn't hit their perimeter shots where Milwaukee struggled in this game. Garrett Temple had a good run in the third quarter as he hit a couple of big threes to keep the Nets in front. You know, at this point in the third quarter, the Nets had four players in double figures. So that, you know, that boded well for this team that was kind of playing with a 
you know, new lineup of players that hadn't really played a whole lot of minutes together and some guys that are just new to the roster. And I know I thought another impressive stat for this Nets team in this game is that every player that entered the game had scored at some point, and they had eight players who had made at least one three going back to how well they were shooting it from the perimeter. You know, I thought a very good adjustment for the Nets was to play the Bucks close and force them to drive instead of giving them open, open looks, you know, referring back to letting them beat them at the rim instead of getting both the three-point shooting going and being able to attack the basket. It's crazy that the Nets were able to pull this win off today. I know Giannis and Middleton didn't play in the second half of this game, but this is still the first team to win outright as more than a 17-point underdog in the last 27 years. I thought this game was going to turn back in the Bucks' favor after the Nets took the lead and carried it for such a long time as you know the players like Frank Mason, Ilya Sova really got going. And they just didn't really have an answer for him. But they kept fighting. Cabaret, Karuks, Justin Anderson, they all continued to produce and helped the Nets to a big upset victory. And for the Bucks, you know, Giannis dominated this game early, but he wasn't getting any help from Middleton, Bledsoe, Lopez. But they were getting good production from their bench, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more moving forward. But Kyle Korver, he came in and knocked down a few shots. DiVincenzo hit a shot. So did Marvin Williams, the late addition from the Hornets. And they really provided a spark off the bench, respectively, as they provided perimeter shooting and slashing abilities to get easy baskets. As I said, Giannis was doing everything he could in this first half as he looked to be on his way to a triple-double before not playing in the second half. The biggest thing that the Bucks needed to clean up in this game is that they just played really sloppy and had a lot of uncharacteristic turnovers, and the Nets made him pay for that. I thought Frank Mason was phenomenal in this game, showing off some of his ability as a scorer, as a setup man, that made him dangerous at Kansas, and we've seen very small spurts of it since he's made it to the NBA. I texted a couple of my friends during this game, and one of the responses back was that the Bucks were overrated. So take that how you want it, and if you feel the same way, just let me know. You could tell that the Bucks had thrown the towel in as you know, Middleton and Giannis never came back in the game in the second half. And you know, I'm just mentioning those two because they are their two best players. But Lopez didn't play, George Hill didn't play, Eric Bledsoe didn't play as well. But even with this happening, I think the Bucks should be able to beat this Nets team that is depleted without Kyrie, KD, DeAndre Jordan, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen. Spencer Dinwiddie, Terry on Prince, Wilson Chandler, 
because if the Nets have those guys, this might be a whole different story. Like they 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 could be just putting the Bucks away easily, and we just there was a lot of loose defending from the Bucks in this game that really just didn't look like them, and it kind of looked that they were just completely disinterested in this game as the Nets were getting whatever they wanted offensively. And, you know, to take away a few pauses from this game for the Bucks, their role players were able to get a lot of minutes in this game, which should bode well for them moving forward in the end of the regular season into the playoffs, building their confidence and, you know, helping them, you know, get their legs underneath them in case there are games that they are relied upon on when Boonholzler has to go to the bench. And, you know, it's just, it was wild to see this game take place and the Nets for the, to get a win. And it's big for the Nets to secure this win as they had dropped their first two games in Orlando uh, following a couple of games back of the Magic. And they needed a win to try to get back a game as they try to climb back into that seventh spot. In the second game of the day, we had the Phoenix Suns taking on the Los Angeles Clippers. And this was a very exciting game. Rick Rubio and Booker won the battle of the backcourts as they were in complete control throughout the game. DeAndre Ayton was able to feast on the front court of the Clippers as they just didn't have someone to guard him like a Noah that may be able to present him a little problem with the skill set that he does possess, but they had no answer for him as he, you know, scored officially around the rim and grabbed a lot of rebounds as well that helped the Suns in this game. I really like what Cameron Payne has been doing since being signed to Phoenix, um, someone that people probably forgot about and didn't think had much of a career left in him after his last stint in Chicago. But, you know, in these few games since joining the Suns, he's starting to look the part of his draft position as a late lottery pick that may be able to help the Suns team moving forward because he is still a young player, not you know, being in their league that long and maybe learning from someone like a Ricky Rubio is going to help him grow as a player in this league. I just cannot talk about it enough. The passing ability of Booker, which has improved so much over the past year and made him so much more of a dynamic and dangerous player. Michael Bridges came up big in this game, hitting three threes, providing defense on Kawhi and Paul George throughout the game. Really slowed them until the late parts of this game, mostly in the fourth quarter as they both started getting going, getting to their spots. You know, Kawhi in the mid-range getting to the basket, knocking down the occasional three, and Paul George using his tight handles and shiftiness to break down a defense as well as create his own shot. The Suns were shooting at such a high rate in this game from the perimeter, but they were sending the Clippers to the line just way too many times or it would have been a bigger lead and they wouldn't have been in such a tight game 
at the end. I really thought Dario Saric, a guy that I've mentioned before as a very underrated player in this league, I thought he had a good fourth quarter providing some timely buckets and defense for the Suns as they tried to close out this game. You know, Booker in this fourth quarter really put the team on his back, finishing the game going 7 of 9 from the three-point line and ended up with 35 points. Neither Kawhi or PG could slow him down. To begin this game, as Kawhi and PG struggled, uh, Zubat was a bright spot for the Clippers with his rebounding and touch around the rim as he started out the game with 11 points and 5 rebounds. As I mentioned earlier, the defense of Michael Bridges really kind of slowed Kawhi and Paul George when he guarded them respectively, and they weren't able to get a lot off the bounce and didn't really give them a lot of clean looks. But as great players do, they finally got their rhythm and really hurt the Suns in the fourth quarter. And, you know, that ability for him to come in and knock down three-point shots and guard those guys that are at the top of the league is what made him such a coveted pro, uh, prospect in the NBA draft and why the Suns drafted him to go alongside a score playmaker such as Devin Booker. Jermichael Green provided good offense, you know, starting off perfect from the field, going three for three from the field, two of those coming from the three-point line to have 11 points. And it was just much-needed offense for the Clippers at the moment when they were struggling to score. This was the first game that Lou Will was back, and him and Reggie Jackson had not played that much together. And you could tell that there was a little bit of not being in sync as you have two ball-dominant guards that need the ball in their hands to produce, and they just didn't work well with one another as they both had very off nights. And you can maybe accredit some of that to Lou Will's absence of having to leave the bubble and then coming back to quarantine. I just think that this could possibly be a problem for the Clippers bench. Moving forward, or maybe Doc Rivers comes up with some type of um, rotation that allows to split them and puts them in positions to succeed. You know, the Clippers in this game made a living in the paint as they hadn't settled for as many threes in the previous game against the Pelicans when they were red hot from the perimeter. And they just didn't shoot the three well in this game until a little bit later. But they're still their percentage was very low in this game compared to what we had seen in the previous games. For how much defensive depth this team possesses, they still struggled to keep up with the Suns as they were able to push the pace and really dictate the tempo of this game in their favor. And a lot and then some of that had to do with the rebounding across the board from the Suns. You know, every rebounder in this game 
for the Suns had at least three, and they were beating the Clippers up on the offensive glass, and I think that's a weakness of this Clippers team that a team like the Lakers are able to take advantage of. You know, someone like the Nuggets can as well. And some of those top teams in the West that they're going to be contending for an NBA final spot with could present them problems in that aspect of the game. Late in the game, Kawhi and Paul George were able to find their offense and get to their spots. And Kawhi, you know, as he does, always comes through in the clutch, knocking down a big shot, only to be canceled out by Devin Booker as he hits the game-winning shot with the buzzer going off to give the Suns their third straight win in the bubble and put them two games behind the Grizzlies for that eighth and final playoff spot. In the third game of the day, we had the Dallas Mavericks taking on the Sacramento Kings, both teams starting the NBA restart. 0-2, someone looking to finally get their first win and propel themselves forward as we finish up the season. Talking about the Kings first, they were able to find their footing on the offensive end as they hit nine threes in the first quarter to give them a big lead over the Mavericks. De'Aaron Fox came out playing like he did against San Antonio, and Buddy Hield finally found his shooting touch. A lot of pace and space was involved in transition to get the Kings clean looks as they have built this lead. The Kings just need to start defending without fouling as you know, they were able to not build a lead because of the amount of times that the Mavs were sent to the free throw line. At one point in the second quarter, they were 22 of 27, which is the only reason they were still somewhat in this game. If the Kings could have contained the bounce, contained the dribble, however you want to put it, and protect the rim, and protect the paint, then they could have easily won this game as long as they continued to play together offensively, which I never thought they got away from. Corey Joseph came up with some huge plays on the offense and defensive side of the ball. He got a big offensive rebound for the Kings after the Mavs hold him to a bad shot in that possession but they were able to get the offensive rebound, kick it out, and knock down a shot. He was also playing very well on the defensive side of the ball as he was able to draw Porzingis' sixth foul and foul him out for the game, which I thought at that point that the Kings were going to be able to win this ball game. De'Aaron Fox speed gave the Mavericks guards a lot of problems. Not really anyone was quick enough to stay in front of him as he was able to get into the paint and kick out two shooters who were knocking down shots in this game. The Kings were able to get a lot of production off the bench starting with Buddy Hield, and it helped them as the starters were not producing. You know, they weren't getting a whole lot out of Harrison Barnes and Benjama, and it just... That production off the bench really helped this team stay in the game. And, you know, they forced this game to go to overtime. Buddy continued his nice addition of shooting in this game after struggling in the first two games. And 
you know, gave the Kings a shot to win it late, and they just weren't able to pull it off. And this is a tough loss for the Kings as they led for most of the game. Talking about the Mavericks, their defense continues to be an issue, and this is a cause for concern as they have already lost two games in the bubble and really need needed to gain some confidence moving into the playoffs. Doncic was putting together another masterful performance, and Porzingis was struggling from the field. I really think that the Mavericks are missing the defense of Dwight Powell and Willie Cauley-Stein around the rim and on the perimeter guarding some of those forwards. I really think they're going to eventually need to give Michael Kid Gilchrist a chance to help this team on the defensive end of the floor as that is the side of the ball that he is most well utilized. And the lack of consistent perimeter shooting outside of Seth Curry is really limiting the explosiveness of the Mavs offense in this game. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. was able to get going late. The Mavs were finally starting to get some great possessions offensively as Doncic hits a three and Porzingis is inserting himself in the paint by securing deep position. As I just mentioned, Tim Hardaway Jr., he will be the difference between Dallas bowing out in the first round and them causing an upset to advance in the playoffs. There was a point in the fourth quarter where Dallas could not buy a bucket, and you know this is just a bad te- bad sign for a team that has been struggling to guard in the fourth quarters. This team seems completely lost at times when Doncic isn't on the floor and carrying them. I really think the biggest weakness that the Mavs need to address in the upcoming offseason is adding more shooting to go around Doncic as he does such a great job of creating for others, but they're not knocking down shots right now. And I don't know why he was taking so many threes yesterday, but Dorian Finney-Smith was just shooting at what seemed to be any opportunity he got. You know, what made him so good at Florida and, you know, what his strengths are is driving to the basket playing defense, which I desperately need right now. Finally, we start to see Tim Hardaway Jr. with a huge three as he moves into second place for threes made in a season for the Dallas Mavericks. I just... I am frustrated with Porzingis in this game as he's bailing out the Kings by settling for way too many threes. Yes, he is a good shooter from distance, but when you have that much size against a team that has no one that can really guard you on the inside, you have to take advantage of that, and that's something that Carlisle needs to sit down and talk with Porzingis about moving forward. You know, but Luka willed his way into winning this game for the Mavericks on his way to a big triple-double. And this is a big win for the Mavericks as they finally get their first win in the bubble, building some confidence that hopefully they can lean on moving into the next game. We will be right back after a short word from our sponsor, Anchor. 
Now let's talk about the Magic versus the Pacers. Both teams starting out 2-0 in the bubble, and the Magic are looking at this game as a chance to prove themselves to be a team that can make a run in the playoffs if they can beat the Pacers in this game and win the season series. But talking about the Pacers first, they're out to a hot start behind T.J. Warren, who's just on a tear right now and looking to have another big game in this one. And the Magic just had no answer for him, trying to figure out who's going to be able to slow him down. This is where you know the injury of Jonathan Isaac does hurt, giving someone with some size and length that might be able to disrupt him on the offensive side of the ball. But even on the possessions that the Magic did play good defense and contest shots, the Pacers just could not miss in this first half on their way to 71 points. But the Pacers have been able to rotate the ball, and the Magic are just a step late, which are allowing a lot of open looks or open drives at the basket, causing more rotation and getting the Magic defense out of position. I really thought the Pacers were doing a terrific job at sharing the ball as they already had 18 assists in the second quarter. And I think one of the players that hasn't gotten enough credit in the bubble for the Pacers is Miles Turner, as he has been scoring efficiently around the rim, as well as blocking shots and knocking down perimeter shots, but also rebounding at a high rate as well. And man, the strides that TJ Warren has made as as a defender in this league are tremendous. His time in Phoenix was very chaotic as he had four different head coaches in five seasons and really just never felt comfortable and coming into a culture instilled by Nate McMillan, who is known to be a defensive coach, has really helped him take the next step in his career, reaching closer to stardom level. And there is one possession in particular that defensively for the Pacers that stuck out as I'm really impressed with Aaron Holiday and his maturity and growth in this bubble and really just throughout the season. But this play in particular really stuck out to me as, you know, Holiday battles with Aaron Gordon for position on the block and ends up drawing an offensive foul as he progresses as a point guard in this league and becomes more heady. These things are going to become more and more consistently happening for him. And this is going to help the Pacers have success as they get Oladipo back and continue to build this team into a contender. And, I think another person that's been impressive for the Pacers off the bench, coming in with a lot of energy, rebounding, and finishing around the rim is Jakar Sampson. Part of the reason why TJ Leaf cannot get on the floor for the Pacers is because of the play of Sampson. And I'm just I'm just very impressed with TJ Warren right now as he's showcasing a lot of skill that we've seen but it is 
taking that next step, really tightening up his handle and gaining a lot of confidence in his jump shot that sometimes seemed a little inconsistent in Phoenix. And, you know, he just plays at his own pace due to that comfortability level and just really never gets sped up. You know, at the moment since the NBA restart, TJ Warren is averaging 39.7 points per game while shooting 65% from the field and 61% from three. And another impressive thing talking about how he does not get sped up is that he only has one turnover the last three games. But switching over to the Orlando Magic, Aaron Gordon tried to keep pace with Warren early, ended up getting in some foul trouble, and just wasn't receiving any help. You know, moving into the second quarter of this game, you know, you had zero points from Fournier and Augustine, two guys that the Magic really need to produce on the offensive side of the ball by knocking down perimeter shots for a team that lacks in that area. But the Magic just kind of looked completely disinterested in this game, not showing much fight or energy or just attention to detail in that first half. The defense just was not very good as a whole. But you just thought maybe they can weather the storm and give themselves a chance. Um, They did a poor job of finishing at the rim. They did a good job executing in the – in the half court in this game, but just couldn't get anything to fall around the rim. Their execution and transition needed to improve throughout the game, and it made little strides, but just wasn't enough to uh, cut into the deficit. And they just weren't communicating well defensively in this game, rotating two shooters and just knowing where shooters were at on the floor and there was just a lot of possessions in that second half that made me scratch my head as the magic made a little bit of a run in that third quarter to cut it to 14 points and then we have James Ennis with the bad decision to take a three while Vucevic has a mismatch on Aaron Holiday in the post but they don't throw it in so they aren't able to take advantage of that. The defense was a lot better in that third quarter um, as they were giving more help to the primary defender, and the Magic were able to get out to an 8-0 run to start that third quarter. I thought it was smart for the Magic to throw some double teams at Warren, as well as playing some zone to throw the rhythm of the Pacers off. They got into a little bit of a bind when Aaron Gordon picked up his fourth foul and had to go out of the game after making a run and getting back in this game, or at least giving them a shot to make this a single-digit game. There was still no production out of the backcourt for the Magic at this point in the game, and Terrence Ross you know, kind of felt this pressure and tried to take it upon himself to make some things happen, really forcing his offense. And I just thought it was ruining some of the possessions in this second half. Even though there was a few instances where he was aggressive, getting to the basket, getting fouled, getting fouled on a three-point attempt that got him at the line. And he ended up having a good second half after having a rough first half as he had 20 points in the game. 
Um, Aaron Gordon did all that he could last night to keep the magic in this game, but it just wasn't enough. Really needed Fournier to step up and provide his usually, you know, 16 to 18 points. And this would have maybe been a different game as the Magic loses game by 11. In the first primetime game on TNT, we had the Boston Celtics taking on the Miami Heat. But let's talk about the Heat first. And they shot the ball well last night. As the Heat are one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league and fire away at a very frequent rate, seventh in the league in three-point attempts per game. Very impressive game by the Heat after coming off the loss to the Raptors. Their defense was tenacious most of the night, really slowing down Boston after their big output on Sunday versus the Trailblazers. The spacing that the Heat were able to create with their perimeter shooting really allowed for the guys like Kendrick Nunn and Bam Adebayo to operate freely as playmakers in the offense. Robertson and Tyler Hero were really shooting it well last night, and the Heat really utilized Goran Dragic out of the pick and roll a lot to let him be creative as a ball handler and as a scorer. Sometimes getting into the paint after snaking it off the pick and roll and kicking two teammates, or a lot of times the Celtics would get caught behind the pick or going under, and Dragic would pull up for his little lefty jump shot from three. And this was on his way to his 14th point, 20 point game off the bench, one of the top bench players in the league. And he really looked like his former all-star self as he did on Sunday against the tri- against the Raptors. And the Heat were being very aggressive on ball screens and getting the ball out of the ball handler's hands, putting a lot of pressure, a little bit of trapping, a little bit of hard hedging that really didn't let players like Jason Tatum, Hayward, Jalen Brown to get downhill as frequently as they would like. Late in this game, Miami gets two big buckets in the paint, one off of an offensive rebound by Iguodala, and then Duncan Robinson puts the Celtics away with two big threes in the final minutes. And you know what the most interesting thing about Robinson's night is that he took zero dribbles. This is a combination of footwork, being ready to shoot, moving without the ball, and knowing the correct spacing offensively that allowed that to happen. Coaches and players really need to take notes, go back and watch this game to implement this into your own game or into your own team. And talking about the Boston Celtics, early in this game they were not able to connect deep from three and really stuck around in this game due to good free throw shooting and points in the paint. Their scoring was coming from three of the four studs for the Celtics in Tatum, Brown, and Hayward. 
you know, Hayward was in a great rhythm to start this game, but knocked down a few free throws and then followed it up with a big three as Boston looked to close the gap in this game. Then after that, they were able to get a defensive stop, get Brown out in transition where he is phenomenal, pretty much elite in the league, and very, you know, side note is how good is Gordon Hayward's mustache? It's probably the best mustache in the league. And getting back to the game, this was a very physical game. A lot of bumps, a lot of you know missed calls that were just play-ons, and you know this kind of got to some of the players as Hayward and Jason Tatum both picked up technical fouls in this game. And at one point during the third quarter, Jason Tatum picks up his fifth foul and has to sit for a while, and. The question really was, who will the Celtics look to take over in his absence? That answer was what usually is an answer for Boston as a team they were able to. Hayward got going a little bit. Jalen Brown did as well. We saw Kimba Walker knock down a few big shots. And I really thought Jalen Brown continued to be relentless in his play as he continued to drive it at the rim. I thought a good action for the Celtics in this game was a dribble handoff action into a screen that allowed Tatum, Hayward, and Jalen Brown to get downhill. What I believe is their most effective and late in this game as the Heat try to put the Celtics away Kelly Olenek, you know, bells him out a little bit, fouling Daniel Tice and sends him to the free throw line where he makes both. And then we have Dragic turn it over. Kimba Walker comes and hits a big three off of a good contest, and he's a little bit off balance, but puts the Celtics down by three and gives them a chance to win or put this game into overtime. But they don't foul quickly as the Heat get the ball in. They knock down their free throws. And he come away victorious in this game, which is good for them coming off the tough loss to Toronto and a game that they played without Jimmy Butler. In the last game of the day, we had the Houston Rockets taking on the Portland Trailblazers. Let's talk about the Rockets first. Um, Daniel House has been tremendous on the off defensive side of the ball in the bubble and continued to end this game. The Blazers are really trapping hard. Onto Harden once he crossed half court, getting the ball out of his hands. This was getting the ball into Westbrook in the middle of the floor, whether that it was him flashing or catching and attacking that middle of the floor, getting open looks for his teammates in the corner or forcing rotations for ball reversal. They really forced Harden to his right a lot in this game as he crossed half court, and then that's when the double would come to get the ball out of his hands. Usually, Russ was flashing to the top of the key. One of the smart adjustments that D'Antoni made in this game was that, you know, Russ came and set a screen for Harden, then rolled to the middle of the floor to kind of attack that trapping defense. 
it's crazy how much of an effect Russ has had on Houston this season as they vault into the top 10 in pace and fast break points when he is on the floor. The Rockets were relatively cool from three in the first half, but Ben McLemore has continued his hot shooting throughout this game as he is shooting 60% from three since the NBA restart. Harden was never able to get going in this game as Portland continued to get the ball out of his hands. I liked that wrinkle I talked about as Westbrook screening for Harden and rolling to the middle of the floor. Jeff Green really lifted up this team as the two stars struggled quite a bit, hitting five threes. I really think on that last possession, Daniel House would have stayed solid instead of gambling to get a steal on the possession that Melo hit the big three. Then we might have had a little bit different of a result in this game. Portland did a phenomenal job of sharing the basketball. A good stat for the Blazers that they had averaged 47 points in the paint in the two bubble games since Nurchich returned to the lineup and against the small ball Rockets. They were on pace for 44. Missing a ton of shots at the rim really crippled them in that first half. But So they couldn't really get going. Um, but, you know, they beat him up on the glass. And that due, is due to the size of the Rockets. But this is the least of the Rockets' problems so far since they've transitioned into this small ball type of game. McCollum had a great bounce back game in this game, having 20-plus points. Gary Kent, Trent Jr., really continued his hot streak from the perimeter as he poured in another double-digit night. The Blazers dominated dominated the glass in this game, securing 63 rebounds. Dame struggled in the first quarter, really first half, but was able to get going in that third quarter as he had a stretch where he scored nine points to help Portland pull ahead a little bit. Portland did a good job of sticking to who they are and their big lineup instead of trying to match up with the Rockets. They let the Rockets try to match up with them. And it's very just an underrated part of McCollum's game as he is one of the best players in the league at utilizing the least amount of dribbles to get off his shot when he decides to attack. Melo continues to come through for Portland as he has hit big shot after big shot in late-game scenarios since the NBA restart. This win for the Trailblazers really is looking to shape up that they're going to have that playing game against the Grizzlies and most likely win that game after the injury news to Jaron Jackson Jr., And we will probably get a Portland Lakers first-round matchup that will be phenomenal. And, you know, that could cause some concern for the Lakers, having such a talented team as the eighth seed, having to play them as the first seed in that first round. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Back Em Down podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to become a monthly contributor to the show, Please click the link at the bottom of the show notes. And once again, I just want to thank you for your support and come back for the next episode of the Back Em Down podcast.